Good evening. My name is Mike Morelli, and welcome to WPKN's Mic Check, coming to you on WPKN every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Welcome to everyone listening at 89.5 FM on your radio dial. Welcome to everyone streaming live or tuning into our podcast at WPKN.org. Each week on Mic Check, one of our hosts examines global, national, and regional issues and their effect on our local community. Just as the phrase Mic Check was used to mobilize people to create a human microphone, during the Occupy Movement and others, this weekly program seeks to amplify our community's many voices and bring them to the airwaves. Mic Check is followed on WPKN at 6 p.m. by another public affairs program, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. On January 4th, Cambridge, Massachusetts police officers shot and killed 20-year-old Saeed Adif Faisal, who was a UMass Boston student majoring in engineering. The Justice for Faisal movement was born in the wake of Faisal's murder, bringing together a coalition of groups to demand justice and to organize for a better future. One of the groups at the heart of the Justice for Faisal movement is Muslim Justice League, or MJL. I am excited and honored tonight to be joined by Fatima Ahmad, Executive Director of MJL and an active organizer within the Justice for Faisal movement. Assalamu alaikum, Fatima. Welcome to Mic Check. Wa alaikum salam. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for, for joining me tonight. Ramadan Mubarak. I uh, can't believe that, you know, it's already the last 10 nights of Ramadan and it just feels like it's flying by so quickly. And I just wanted to know, how has your Ramadan been going up to this point? Yeah, Ramadan Kareem to you and, and everyone, you know, celebrating. It's been... Honestly, it's been like physically easier this year, but also I think just emotionally more difficult this year. There's just so much uh, going on. I think 2023 has been kind of a rough start for for a lot of folks, but yeah, it feels like it's gone by a little a little too fast too. So um, kind of sad that it's that it's wrapping up soon. Yeah, I definitely agree, and. I'm excited to jump into this conversation with you tonight. And I was wondering if you could start first by talking briefly about how long you've been with MJL and um, if you could also discuss the organization's mission and vision. Absolutely. Yeah, I have now been with MJL for six years, um, which also feels kind of unbelievable. Um, and MJL just, you know, became an organization just eight years ago. Um, as an organization, you know, we're Boston-based. Um, most of our work is very local, but we're also one of very few Muslim-led organizations doing this kind of work. So we do some, you know, some national work. And, you know, really we're, we're unique in that our mission is focused on community organizing and advocacy around like the national security complex and like the counterterrorism machine. Um, for us, you know, we take an abolitionist, uh, you know, um, practice uh, in terms of our organizing, which is also different. So when you think about you know, police and prisons were very much focused on 
the policing and surveillance end of the spectrum. So where people are, uh, you know, sort of, you know, being put in contact with, um, with law enforcement. And, you know, the unique lens that we have is really thinking about how the war on terror, which has gone, has, has been much longer than, than 9-11, like, you know, for quite the, the history of the U.S., there, there has been this sort of counterterrorism um, effort that's targeted Muslims, especially. So how that and national security, how that impacts Muslims, that kind of policing and surveillance, and then how that goes on to impact everyone. And so for us, you know, targeting those surveillance uh, practices and policing practices can benefit everyone. So really, you know, our tagline is, you know, being led by Muslims, but bringing justice for all. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Fatima. If you could talk a little bit more about some of the specific projects and campaigns MJL has been has been engaged in uh, the past several years. Yeah, so from, you know, from the beginning of MJL, it was really formed in response to a new war on terror program that was being piloted in Boston called Countering Violent Extremism or CDE. And so a lot of our work had, has focused on that both locally and now nationally. Um, that's an initiative that basically convinces people to racially profile or religiously profile, um, you know, the people around them. So it's this idea that you can like prevent people from becoming the next terrorist, prevent them from becoming violent. And of course, who is seen as like being on a path to violence? Um, one, Muslims, right, are, are expected to, to be inherently violent. And then, of course, you know, more broadly, like black and brown people, people who are becoming politically active. So we've done a lot of work around that and we've had a lot of success around that. Um, and I think, you know, we're kind of known for that nationally and internationally. Um, but some of our other work, you know, again, like we, we're focusing on policing, surveillance, national security, um, so one of the other, you know, things we've done for quite some time now is trying to end the gang database in Boston. And I think some people wonder, like, oh, why, why is a Muslim organization leading that? And it's because it's a counterterrorism center that is uh, administering the gang database in Boston. It's like a Homeland Security funded center um, that's doing it. And of course, you know, gang databases are very similar to the kind of watch lists that, that Muslims are often on. Um, so that's just another one. And yeah, just like generally doing a lot around um, policing and surveillance locally, working with a lot of other um, community organizations in Boston to really try to take power from policing and, and put power into communities. Kind of bouncing off of what you were saying as far as the, you know, the criminalizing of black and brown communities in Boston and especially speaking to young people when it comes to the gang database. As I mentioned in the introduction for the show, in January, uh, a UMass Boston student named Said Otter Faisal was shot and killed by Cambridge police. Uh, here in Connecticut, I heard about what happened and, and was devastated. 
So I can only imagine what you what you and, and MJL were feeling and other folks in Boston. And so I was wondering, Fatima, if you could if you could talk a little bit about when you first heard about Faisal's murder, whatever you feel comfortable sharing about what you were feeling and thinking during that immediate uh, that immediate time. Yeah, you know, only probably a few people know um, this story of what what was going on with me when I when I heard about this, which is actually um, the day that I found out that morning we had a really big action um, that we did. And it was really powerful. Um, we, you know, if it's okay, I'll share a little bit about this. We had been in touch with um, this newer uh, um, collective of folks called the Just Mathematics Collective. Um, they are a bunch of mathematicians who are taking on like abolitionist campaigns. And I didn't know um, that the NSA is like the, the biggest um, uh, employer of mathematicians. <laughs> and the mathematics conference was coming to Boston that year, like right at the beginning of January. And so they had reached out because they have this really awesome um, campaign around it, wanted to do an action at the conference and wanted to partner with us as like, you know, local a local organization and also, again, one of few organizations that focuses on this kind of issue. Um, so we actually, yeah, had a bunch of our members, you know, work on this with them. We went in person, we basically shut down their recruitment table. Um, they were very upset with us. Um, and it was incredible. And we got like, I don't know, I think like 70 mathematicians uh, in like an hour to sign on to the campaign. Um, and it was just super, super powerful, really cool to like connect with all these people who were coming in from out of town. And, you know, I had this whole day dedicated, we started at like 8am, you know, took them out uh, to lunch afterwards. And I went back to my desk at the office and my plan was just to type up the names we had collected um, and send them to folks. And then I was going to take the next day, which was Friday off and have like a long weekend after doing all this work. And yeah, basically like once I finished typing up the names uh, before I checked out, I like got an email from yeah one of our partner organizations and they told me what happened um and wanted to talk about it and I just it was it was so devastating you know I was like coming off of this high of like organizing something really powerful um and you know feeling so excited about that to hearing this and realizing like just this is so significant and it doesn't happen that often here you know like we're not a city the 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 boston area it happens like police definitely kill people here um but it's not it's honestly not as frequent as you know many other um cities so 
I just was not expecting it. And it was so early in the year, you know, we're coming back from New Year's um, and, and learning that he was so young and, you know, that he was in distress and that he was an only child, like everything I learned about it just really broke my heart. Um, and I also knew like, now I need to, you know, I need to contact everybody. I need to, you know, jump on this. I, you know, I was hosting a baby shower for my friends that weekend. And I told them like, I'm still going to do it. I will be there. But that's literally the only thing this, you know, aside from this, I did, you know, all that weekend, it was just, you know, dedicated to, um, to organizing around this and supporting the the community in the wake of this. Wow. That's really heavy. And thank you for sharing that, Fatima. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that time, that initial first week and two weeks of different community and activist groups coming together to support Faisal's family and what that time was like, as well as some of the specific demands in that moment. Yeah, that was really um, a very difficult time. You know, when something like this happens, there there's just so much immediate trauma, you know, to the loved ones of Arif in particular, like his family, his friends, and his broader community, like the Bangladeshi community, which um, Cambridge actually has a really large Bangladeshi um, population. And so it wasn't just like, you know, his immediate family that felt this, but so many people. And he went to college in Boston and he went to high school in Somerville, which is another, you know, city right beside Cambridge. So people really, you know, throughout this broader community were, um, were feeling upset. And I think a lot of people were, I, I got this question a lot in the first couple of weeks from community members who were saying like, why aren't people talking about this? Why isn't it in the news? You know, why isn't this getting more attention? Um, and I, I think that's, that's always hard. You know, people feel like there should be so much attention on this, right? Like for me, anytime someone is killed, like I want the whole world to stop for them, you know, like everyone deserves that. And the beginning of January, those first couple of weeks, this wasn't the only police murder that happened, right? You had Tortuguita in Atlanta, you had Keenan Anderson, um, in Southern California, obviously Tyree Nichols, there were so many incidents like this. So not just in those couple, first couple of weeks was it really intense here, but I know in multiple cities, you know, there were so many people mobilizing around similar, um, you know, murders. And we even had like, you know, a call with, with folks um, about that early on that was really devastating um, and also very helpful to like connect with other people. 
And I think here, you know, the, the main thing was people said, we want justice and how could they have killed him? Like those were the two main messages in those first couple of weeks was just how could they do this, right? People really felt like this is unbelievable, right? Like this young person needed help. Why would the police kill him? How could there not have been any other outcome, right? And it's so hard in those moments because, yeah, we we all know that he should still be here. Like he did not deserve to die. That's really what we all feel. And the problem is there's no way to bring him back. That's, I think, one of the hardest things about organizing around cases like this. It's like, how can how can we possibly help his family define justice in this moment, right? Like, what what possible justice could there be when your loved one is taken from you? So I think there was just so much outrage um, in those in those first couple of weeks, and so. You know, we did a bunch of mobilizations um, to really get people, you know, rallying around this. But the other hard thing was we had to tell people, you know, this takes time. If you look at other families who have gone through this, other cities where this has happened, you know, we can't just show up in those first couple of weeks and expect, um, you know, immediate answers the family itself like they're going through so much you know like we can't pressure them and rush them into figuring out you know what they want that's super overwhelming so for us as mjl we were trying to tell people you know like this is a long we have to be in the in it for the long run um to support them i do think an important win that we had from that first first week so the DA, you know, requested to have this inquest process, which is where a judge, you know, someone besides the DA does an investigation. Um, personally, I wouldn't say that's independent, you know, like a judge is still, <laughs> is still part of the system, um, but it is independent in a way. And from the other cases where she's done this, it's taken many, many months before she even requests the inquest process. And because we organized folks so quickly and had so much turnout in that first week, you know, I think that's exactly why in that first week she actually requested the inquest process. So at least we know it will be faster for this family because, uh, yeah, we turned out so many uh so many people and got so much, um, you know, traction early on. That's really awesome that that was able to happen and, and to have that, that traction, like you said, and, and all that support and to take time to hold space for, for you to share what you've been able to learn about, about Adif up to this point through organizing with his family and, and supporting his family in really profound ways since his murder. Because I feel like that just gets lost so often uh, when there's conversations around state violence. Um, like you said, the world the world should stop for that person that was killed, for that victim, for their family. The world should stop. So I want I want to kind of 
in, in our own way, stop the world right now for a moment to learn more about Arif. So anything that you feel comfortable sharing and would like to share for our, our listeners to to learn a little bit more about Saeed Arif Faisal. I really appreciate that. I think this has been one of the hardest parts is balancing, you know, the greater movement for justice with, you know, actually focusing on him in particular. I think it's so easy for, you know, his life to be lost in, you know, all of this um, political organizing. Um, It's made me think a lot about, you know, what would I want to happen if this, if this happened to me and I would want my friends and my family and my loved ones to actually have the space to grieve and mourn me um, and, you know, fight for justice and, and have support in navigating that. Um, and I think it, it can even be frustrating to feel like, oh, you know, sometimes people are, are using someone's name and, and image um, for, uh, yeah, for like agendas and not taking the time to, um, to really grieve him. So that's, that's been important. And, and, you know, we've heard that from some of his friends and family of like wanting space to actually talk about him. And for me, you know, I didn't know him, but now I know so many people who loved him and I'm like shaping this image of him from like the hole that's been left in their lives and what they're telling me. Um, Honestly, when it first happened, the very first rally, I had to cancel a meeting, like a standing meeting. And I said, you know, I have to cancel this thing happened. And someone replied and said they actually had worked with him at CVS. And I had no idea, like, you know, I couldn't have guessed that this person would have known Arif. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've like met his best friends and his family and his coworker and his teachers at various places and students who knew him. And everyone just loved him so much, you know, like he, really showed up for other people. Like he was a really good friend. I know that. That's so painful to know, but I know that he was a really good friend to so many, you know? Um, He brought joy to so many people in his life. And I think we have to actually keep you know, keep mourning and grieving him and keep telling stories of, of who he was, because like, that's, he deserves that. And that's what will keep us going in this fight, you know, with, with his family, right? Like they can't forget. And I think we also can't forget. Thank you so much for sharing that, Fatima. 
sharing all that and just, you know, honoring out of humanity. And I have to say that when I first heard about, when I first heard about Otif's murder, what I first thought about was uh, the January 15th, 2020 Connecticut State Police murder of Mubarak Suleiman, uh, which happened in West Haven, Connecticut. There's uh, so many similarities. Um, they were both Muslim from immigrant families. They were both young college students. They both struggled with mental health issues at the time of their murder by police. Like you were saying, like I've gotten to know Mubarak's family here in Connecticut very well since Mubarak's murder in January 2020. And Fatima, I was wondering, what would you like folks to be thinking about for for the end of Ramadan, which is which is coming up? Uh, I know we're in the last stretch here. Um, so based on all of this and, and the conversation we've been having and and what's on your mind and in the work that you do, what would you like folks to be thinking about moving into the end of Ramadan? I think it's very important for, you know, the end of Ramadan, especially for everyone to be thinking about, you know, how policing and prisons impacts Muslims. I think a lot of people don't realize that that's a huge issue for Muslims, but we're a heavily incarcerated population. We're about 1% of the population in the US, but we're about 10% of the incarcerated population. So these are really some of the biggest issues facing Muslims and it doesn't get enough attention. And I think for folks who are celebrating Ramadan in particular, you know, I would ask that you keep incarcerated Muslims and deported Muslims and, you know, those who have been killed by police uh, in your, in your du'a and in your prayers during the end of Ramadan. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, Fatima. And so as far as how people, how folks listening can, can learn more about and get connected to both the Justice for Faisal movement as well as MJL, um, how can how can folks go about learning more and plugging in? Yeah, I think the best way for both is really um, you know signing up for our emails. There's a dedicated email list that we have for the Justice for Faisal movement, um, where yeah, there was just like an event, a memorial for for him actually at the beginning of Ramadan um, that we shared through that list. So if you want just updates on that, you can sign up for that email list. But otherwise, yeah, I think, um, you know, following us on social media and signing up for, for email so you can get updates. I've continued sharing with the family and loved ones of RF that there are so many people who have been moved by this and who care about it. And yeah, it's just so so wonderful to have been invited to to have this conversation i'm very grateful to to have been able to have this conversation with you and and I'm very inspired by all the work that you and mjl and the whole coalition that is fighting for justice for for arif and supporting his family just very very grateful for all the work that you're all doing and i definitely um sending love to his family 
And so thank you so much for joining me tonight, Fatima Ahmad, Executive Director of Muslim Justice League, or MJL. Thank you for joining me tonight for having this conversation. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing, including supporting Saeed Arif Faisal's family in their fight for justice. May Allah grant patience, peace, and justice to them, to Faisal's family. And may Allah reward you and the rest of the MJL team for the inspiring and powerful work that you're doing in Boston, but I know, like you mentioned, also nationally and and even internationally. May all of your Ramadan duas be, accept, be accepted. Thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for joining me tonight. Ramadan Mubarak, Fatima, have a great night. Thanks so much for having me, Ramadan Mubarak. This has been Mike Check and I'm Mike Murley. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night at 5.30 for another episode. Next up, we have the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Followed, of course, by Cool Blues and Rare Records with Al Bell, right here on WPKN 89.5 FM in Bridgeport and streaming online at WPKN.org.